Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we are discussing The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien and we have a special guest. Tito, would you like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about you, yourself? Sure, thank you for having me. My name is Tito Santiago. I'm Vicky's husband. Um, I've been a fan of Tolkien's work pretty much since I was a kid. Uh, I first read The Hobbit when I was in elementary school, and uh, I've probably read it about a dozen times or more since then, and I've just been, uh, it pretty much just opened me up to the whole genre of uh, fantasy in general. Um, so it's gotten me into other things like um, miniature war games and miniature painting, of course, um, got to have your dwarves and goblins if you're going to play miniature war games so uh Tolkien's definitely been a big impact and influence on my life that's awesome I love the pictures that you post of the the uh the figurines that you paint the one that you did for the Balrog of Morgoth was like fantastic I think that's my favorite one that you posted a picture of it looks so good yeah the Balrog was a real challenge. I probably stared at the bear model for a good like week or two before I finally just went, okay, I'm going to put some paint on this and got cracking at it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it turned out fantastically. It looks so good. Thanks. It, it definitely looks like you put a lot of work into it. Yeah, I probably, it probably took all weekend to, to get that painted yeah yeah well good job on you um we're gonna go ahead and get started so i'll start with our characters and locations and then vicky will pick up with our plot and then we'll move on so uh if you haven't been exposed to any of tolkien's works before um, we're gonna start out with a few creatures so we're gonna talk about hobbits hobbits are about half the height of humans um, they are largely lacking in magic and are beardless, but they can easily disappear or remain unseen if they wish it. They have super hairy feet and hard leathery soles on their feet, and so they don't wear shoes. Um, they really enjoy meal times and are often very good natured. And we also have dwarves. So dwarves are a bit larger than hobbits, not quite as large as humans. Um, they are bearded, often very talented at mining and smithing and able to create magnificent weapons and armors and pieces of jewelry, and they can be a little bit gruff. Um, the hobbits and dwarves are going to be two of the main creatures we encounter in this story, although there are loads of other creatures. So some of our characters, we have Bilbo Baggins. He's our main character. He's a hobbit who values comfort greatly. He values his home, his handkerchiefs, and tea and cakes in his pipe. And at the start of our story, he has very little interest in pursuing great adventures. We have Gandalf the Grey, who is a wizard with a great long white beard. 
and a penchant for fireworks and fire-related magic in general. He wears a tall, pointy blue hat, carries a staff, and is a bit mischievous. For our dwarves, we have Thorin and company. So Thorin Oakenshield is one of the, the leaders of our quest. Um, he is accompanied by Feely and Keely, Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin and Gloin, Dwalin and Balin, Bifer, Bofer, and Bomber. These are the dwarves in our tale, led by Thorin, son of, Th son of Thrain, son of Thor, who was king under the mountain until it was overtaken. They are seeking to reclaim the treasure hoard under the lonely mountain and their home uh, from Smaug the dragon. So that brings us to Smaug the dragon, who is a fire drake. He is massively destructive and has lain with his treasure hoard under the mountain for many, many years after usurping it from the dwarves. We have Gollum, who is a small slimy creature with great big luminescent eyes. He lives on an island in a lake at the bottom of the Misty Mountains. He is tricky and has a murder streaks and he loves riddles. We have Bayorn, who's a skin changer. He's able to shift into a bear and is very protective of other animals. We have the Elf King, whose name is not specifically mentioned in this book, but his name is Thranduil and his home is in Mirkwood. We have the Bard, who is a descendant of the former Lord of Dale. And so that brings us into our locations. This story takes place in a lot of different locations on the way to our final destination. So it starts at Bag End, which is um, Bilbo's home in the Shire. And it moves on to the Misty Mountains, which are inhabited by nasty goblins and is the home of the Goblin King and the home to Gollum at the bottom of the mountain. We move into Mirkwood, which is the forest near Beorin's house that is full of old and sketchy magic. The water in the forest is enchanted and the critters aren't fit for eating. And this is where the Elven King's home is. From there, we move on to Lake Town, which is on the other side of the Mirkwood Forest. Lake Town is comprised of the descendants of those who formerly lived in Dale. So when Smaug destroyed Dale, its remaining descendants or remaining residents built a town in the middle of the lake with a bridge that they can detach to thwart future attacks by the dragon. And we end up at the Lonely Mountain, which is our ultimate destination. And is the former home to the dwarves where Thorin's grandfather was king under the mountain. So that's our creatures, characters, and locations. Vicki, do you want to pick up our plot? Sure. So the Hobbit begins with the narrator giving us Bilbo's history or lineage. Um, and the narrator mentions that he is part took and maybe prone to adventure. So one morning, Bilbo is enjoying the weather and Gandalf arrives. Gandalf announces that he is looking for someone willing to go on an adventure, but Bilbo claims he is not interested. Gandalf seem, doesn't seem to believe him and he marks Bilbo's door with a symbol. The next day around tea time, dwarves begin showing up at Bilbo's hobbit hole. It pains Bilbo to be rude, so he greets each dwarf. His new friends include Dwalin, Balin, Feely, Keely, Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin, Gloin, Beefer, Bofor, Bombor, and finally Thorin, Oakenshield, Dwarf Royalty. Uh, and Gandalf arrives as well. Bilbo's Hobbit Hole is now host to 13 dwarves and a wizard. It's a merry group and Bilbo finds himself wanting an adventure. 
As it turns out, the adventure is to claim the dwarves' lonely mountain back from the dragon smog, and Bilbo is to be their burglar. The adventure starts off nice enough, but one night it rains and their pony runs off with their food. Unable to start a fire, they send Bilbo to investigate a red light in the distance, and he discovers trolls. Uh, then he promptly manages to get himself and all 13 dwarves captured. Luckily, they are saved by Gandalf, um, and they realize that the trolls must have a cave or home nearby, and they've managed to find it and raid it, obtaining food and weapons in the process. After several more days of travel, they arrive in Rivendell to meet with Gandalf's friend, Elrond, in Elf. <laughs> he helps them interpret moon letters on a map from Gandalf, which advises that the dwarves need to reach the mountain by Durin's day to find the secret door. They continue with their journey and end up in a cave one night during a bad storm. Of course, the cave is not as it seems, and they are attacked and captured by goblins. Gandalf quickly finds them, but during their escape, Bilbo gets separated. He cannot find his way out, and he cannot hear any goblins or dwarves. He does, however, find a strange ring, which is then followed by a strange encounter with a creature called Gollum. The creature challenges Bilbo to a game of riddles. Naturally, Bilbo wins, and in a roundabout way, Gollum leads Bilbo out, and he reunites with Thorin and company. The group continues on and encounters wolves, giant birds, and a skin changer named Bayorn. They spend a few day days with Bayorn before setting out to the Mirkwood Forest. It is here that Gandalf leaves them to go on his own quest, but he warns them not to travel off of the path. So, of course, they go off of the path. They find themselves drawn in by elves, but when they get close, the elves run away, taking light and food with them. Thorin and company get separated, and Bilbo manages to kill a giant spider by himself before setting off to find his friends. When he discovers them, they've already been captured by giant spiders and are encased in webs. Using some clever hobbit trickery, he manages to lure the spiders away from the dwarves and rescue them. They quickly realize that Thorin is not among them and that he was captured by wood elves. Remember, dwarves and elves do not have the best history, so Thorin is being treated as an enemy. Soon the elves find the rest of the dwarves and capture them too. Luckily, Bilbo manages to remain hidden. After a few weeks, he arranges an escape and manages to get all the dwarves safely, though waterlogged, to Lake Town. They're welcomed in the town and spend two weeks recovering before heading off to the Lonely Mountain. When they arrive at the mountain, they simply cannot find their way in and spend several days moping about. However, it turns out that they are in luck and have not missed Durin's Day. A secret keyhole appears and they are able to enter the mountain. They don't all venture inside, instead Bilbo goes searching by himself. His search proves fruitful and he encounters Smaug, sleeping upon a pile of jewels and gold. But Bilbo's presence does not go unnoticed and the dragon wakes up furious and looking for vengeance. So what happens? Do the dwarves retake their mountain? Will Bilbo get to return to his hobbit hole? You'll need to read the book or keep listening to find out. Lots of spoilers ahead. All right, so let's talk about some of our talking points and memorable moments. Marissa, hey. I know you have a long history with this book. Oh my gosh, I love this book so much. This is what got me into reading fantasy books. I was in 11th grade in Bobby Coleman's class and I pulled it off the shelf. And from there, I moved on to Harry Potter. And I, But this was the starting point for me. I read the Lord of the Rings books after this one too. Um, the Hobbit has been... I just think I've probably read it like 10 times. I, it's one of my favorite books ever. But 
for this episode, this I I got the audio book. And I don't typically go for audiobooks because they make me really sleepy, but this is the perfect book for an audiobook because the storytelling element is so I mean it, it this book reads like it's meant to be said out loud. And so it was perfect for an audiobook. Um, and I, I loved it. It was, I mean, it was just exciting to listen to the, the version that I got. And I, I didn't realize this. I was talking to someone else about it today. Someone told me that there is an audiobook version of it that's narrated by Andy Serkis, who, who is, who plays Gollum, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Uh, the one that I've been listening to is uh, narrated by Rob Inglis. And I really like it. I list, I started out with another version, which was done by the, like the BBC radio or something. And it was like a theatrical, so I, there were, they took some liberties with the, the plot. Like, this is not, this is not right. But this version that I have been listening to is spectacular. So. Yeah, I had that thought when I started reading it, I was like, I don't know, 20 minutes into reading it. And I was like, this would be amazing on Audible, which I like never think when I read books. Mm-hmm. I was like, I bet this sounds great. Yeah. The Rob Inglis version is the version I have, and I can attest it is the best audio book version. Although if you go in the Kindle store and you get to the 75th anniversary edition of The Hobbit, it includes extra features, including um, voice recordings by Tolkien himself. (gasps) Ooh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. That's awesome. Vicki, what do you think of The Hobbit? I know I, I love it. I don't know if I've heard your thoughts on it before. Yeah, I love the book. You guys both have such like solid memories of when you read it. So it must have been such huge turning points for you guys. But I, I don't have like a solid memory of, yes, this is when I read The Hobbit. I just feel like it's always kind of been there. It was read to me, I'm pretty sure when I was younger. Um, I'm pretty sure my parents read it to me. But I don't have this moment of, oh, I picked up the book and that was it for me for fantasy. (laughs) Um, But I I loved it growing up, you know, so, yeah. I was lucky to have a good librarian in elementary school who actually recommended it to me. So that's where it got started for me. Mm. But uh, in junior high, I actually had a teacher that made an assignment to read the book. So I felt like a big shot because I had read it before anyone else <laughs> and already knew all the answers to everything. Look at you. <laughs> you go. Oh, that's great. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um, so something that I really like at just the start of the book. So it's in Gandalf's first interaction with, um, with Bilbo at this book. Bilbo greets him by saying, good morning. And there's just this very intricate conversation about the different ways that you can say good morning and what it means. I really enjoyed that. It's like, do you, do you mean good morning? Like it's actually good morning. Is it good morning and that you're greeting me? Oh, now it's good morning and that you're saying goodbye to me and you want me to leave. I love that part too. I've highlighted it. And I also think of this often when I'm saying good morning to people. Because <laughs> I pass people in the halls at work a lot and like, like, oh, good morning. And I think, well, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it a morning to be good on? 
I do. I have that thought. So I find Bilbo in his situation with his adventure super relatable because it's like the idea of adventures is appealing in my mind I'm adventurous and I'm questing and 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 I want to do the things but in my heart I like to drink my tea and sit on my couch in my stretchy pants and eat snacks and read books and stay at home (laughs) even better if it's cold or rainy or snowing outside yes for reading this book it makes it that much better um Marissa and I came apart uh on the part where Bilbo is like, oh, he likes a good map. I was like, Marissa, is this where Marissa got her inspiration for liking maps? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what I love about this book is there are maps and there are also illustrations. Love a book with illustrations. Yeah, this might, maybe this was my first like experience with a book with a map. If you like illustrations, uh, not that I'm getting paid to plug this, but the 75th edition <laughs> edition from Kindle has some amazing like exclusive illustrations that you don't get in other versions of the book. It really, it, like I, I hadn't read it before that version and I was just amazed at all of the little details that they put into it. Like so many cool drawings and sketches and pieces of art just sprinkled in. Oh, well, now I want to buy it. I don't need, I, (laughs) I just got the collector's edition for my birthday and it's beautiful. Um, And I was looking at, there's an illustrated, like I guess it's more targeted towards kids, but an illustrated version that I was looking at too. It's like how many versions of the Hobbit is too many versions of the Hobbit? Is there such a thing? I haven't reached that number yet. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Vicki, did you make this note about living in a hobbit hole? I did. It just sounds so great. Everything's on one floor, mm-hmm. right? Well, I don't know. I like two things, but like it's under the ground sort of thing. It just sounds like such a, oh my gosh, like just such a pleasant place to live. And you have like massive food storage as well. Yes. That sounds great, you know? And I bet they don't really like super need refrigeration because of the way it's placed too, you know, yeah. because of the way they're built. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cooler in general. Yeah. It sounds very cozy. Yes. Very cozy. It would probably be really safe in the South too. You know, like if there were tornadoes, Hobbiton probably wouldn't get blown away because <laughs> they already <laughs> live in hills. There you go. Oh, in the south, you'd have to worry about flooding depending on where you are. That's true. So you may not get blown away, but you might drown in your home. Man. You have to make sure you reinforce things. Right. Yeah. There you go. I, I agree. I think I love the description in the in this in this chapter, in this part of the book where they're talking about what hobbit homes are like and the the layout. And that's always my favorite parts of books is descriptive stuff like this. I really enjoy it, especially when it comes to talking about food. That's like, or like when they talk describe holiday gatherings or things similar to that in books, that's part of my like favorite descriptive aspect. It's things like that. I would like to live in a hobbit hole too. Let's build one. We'll move to North Carolina and live in a hobbit hole together. Yes, let's, let's do, do that. Okay. I think as millennials, that's our best shot is to pool our resources. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. 
Yeah. So regarding Hobbit holes, I love the attention to detail that in uh, in the Lord of the Rings movies, you you get to see Gandalf bump his head inside the Hobbit hole, mm-hmm. which like for me, seeing that movie for the first time, what I thought was really great is just seeing that sense of scale and like me as a little kid reading, it's like, what must it look like to have it, everything be the right size for a hobbit, mm-hmm. but for a dwarf or a human to go in, or in Gandalf's case, a wizard, like everything just must be so small. And then seeing that detail of him bumping his head, but in the Hobbit film, seeing him see the post in the ceiling and narrowly missing it, I just thought it was really funny and rewarding as a fan to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Vicky, you like the name Thorin? I love the name Thorin. Thorin Oakenshield. I want to name a pet Thorin one day. Um, I don't think Tito's on board with that. Why not? I just think they're they're cooler, better names to use for a pet. Oh well, maybe if you get like a little very furry dog with the appearance of facial hair, a little <laughs> short, stout body. <laughs> name it Thorin there's a guy on TikTok his name is Thorin Bradley uh he chops wood that's his thing (laughs) he's very attractive he can handle an axe really well if he ever cosplayed Thorin Oakenshield I think I would die he kind of sounds like he's halfway to Thorin he's got a very nice beard he's very good with like an axe and if he I mean he just needs like I don't know a pelt and some like long hair (laughs) he's there (laughs) there you go (laughs) there you go I really liked the actor that they got to play Thorin in the movie but it's Richard Armitage I think is his name yeah, if I was him, that's basically what I would do with my Instagram is just thirst trap posts <laughs> as Thorin. Nerds. Like, yeah, I'm, I made the most recent movie like five years ago, but I'm still like cashing in on this. That would be my <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I thought he was a really good Thorin. Mm-hmm. Well with it. Yeah. Marissa, you had in opinion on the Tooks versus the Baggins. Oh, yes, I did. I just thought it was so classic that Bilbo's mother, Belladonna Took, she had all of, like, the Tookish side is very adventurous, and she had all of these adventures, and then she married Bilbo's father, Bungo Baggins, and just stopped having adventures. Like, isn't that just, isn't that just classic? (laughs) With a name like Bungo. I know, that's a regrettable name. (laughs) That screams like no adventures for you, Bungo. It sure does, yeah. yeah. I like how in the book they they keep referring to Bilbo's Tukish side coming out when he when he gets a little bit sassy is probably not the right word but he does get a little bit of an attitude um, becomes a little bit more assertive at times. It's like oh that Tukish side is coming through coming through and then he gets home and it's like mm, all baggins <laughs> spent all of the toque yeah <laughs> i've used up my toque allowance for the next 60 years so just gonna stay home now <laughs> i think another great little detail on bungo and belladonna toque is that uh so he builds bag end for her like mm-hmm. arguably the the nicest hobbit hole in all of uh hobbiton or bag end or the shire really 
and uh, he adds the detail. Tolkien, Tolkien adds the detail of uh, he builds it for her using a large portion of her own money, which I just thought was <laughs> a great little extra jab at Bungo after that bit about Belladonna no longer going on adventures after getting married and settling down. He also used her money. Very so typical of Bungo. It is very typical. <laughs> I love the scene with Bayorn is my favorite in the entire book. That is always the scene that I look forward to when I read this story. I love the descriptions around his home and the bees and the beehives and uh, the animals and how they function as, as servants. Um, and that Bayorn sees them almost like they're his friends. They're not his pets or animals. Um, and he, he cares for them. And I, I love the description of Bayorn. Um, and sort of like we get a little bit of like a, just his past history, I guess. But it's it's always just the imagery surrounding that scene. I can see it so strongly in my mind. And I just, when they made the movies, that was one of the scenes I looked forward to seeing come to life the most because it's it's my favorite every single time I read it. Yeah, I love that scene. All the animals working together. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, I was also very into Bayorn, especially around junior high. Uh, I had a Dungeons and Dragons character named Bayorn. Uh, there was a game called Diablo that you could be a druid and the druid could turn into a werewolf or a werebear. And I always picked the bear <laughs> and my character's name was also Bayorn. And I thought it was just the coolest thing. Nice. See, Bayorn has a big impact on people. Yeah. Just love it. It's a great scene. Um, I watched, so I watched, I looked up Bayorn last night in preparation for this and watched several videos. The, um, like the, the preparation for the things that they used in the movie to create his character was interesting. They made his wig out of like horse hair. It almost looks like a porcupine. Um, in my mind, I pictured like a very hairy lumberjack guy. And so <laughs> uh, the actual physical representation is not the same. And that's probably more appropriate than a, a very hairy lumberjack man. But <laughs> well, the lumberjack man is a bit more appealing. I yeah. mean, yeah, but probably not. I mean, probably not uh, actually appropriate for <laughs> <laughs> character. For a children and you know, okay, children's book. Yeah. What is this sexy lumberjack doing in a kid's book? <laughs> well, he definitely has the lumberjack vibe. I just don't know that I'd call it sexy with the eyebrows. Well, I don't know. Hey, everyone has their thing. They do. <laughs> Is there, so we get introduced to a bunch of different like creatures or types of, of beings in this book. We have hobbits and we have elves and we have goblins and we have dwarves and we have humans like men um, and all sorts of creatures. And I, I want so badly to be an elf. Is there a creature from this world that y'all would choose to be? Well, I have a special fondness for dwarves. Uh, mainly because Sotito and I um, have played Mordheim and I got to play dwarves all the time and they're great creatures to play. They're super strong, they're steadfast, they're hard-headed, so they're great. And um, also 
the miniatures that Tito painted look really cool. Um, they're troll slayers. And so I think they've been like, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but they've been like exiled. And so they have red um, or orangish hair. Um, so I'm really partial to dwarves uh, because when we play Warhammer, I pick dwarves too. Tito, what about you? Yeah, I also am very fond of dwarves. Uh, I think discovering this book as a kid, having dwarves and goblins just turned my little brain into overtime. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just been, gosh, I, lifelong at this point, essentially, uh, just a fascination with with uh, with pretty much the entire fantasy genre but uh, especially with the the uh, Tolkien-esque description of these particularly uh, particular fantasy races with elves dwarves and goblins and such but yeah definitely dwarves are my favorite it would be really cool to be a dwarf you know you get to run around going on adventures smashing things with your axe and then also have like a giant pile of gold I feel like dwarves would be cool would be cool. I've always liked elves. I think it started. We've always talked about this before. I think when the the Santa Claus came out in 1994, that really got me started with elves. And ever since then, I have just loved them. I think they're so cool, and they have cool weapons too. So they're really savvy with archery. They can they can shoot a bow better than anybody else, and they they enjoy. Um, music and mirth but they're also kind of tricky and reserved um nimble and graceful yeah elves are, are nothing to be shy about either i mean um like even a half elf like elrond is still just an incredibly powerful and wise character uh i think tolkien's description of him is so great uh calling him um wise as a wizard and yet still a capable warrior and a friendly person mm -hmm. so Elrond's just one of those like he's one of my favorite characters in the whole series I definitely see the appeal of elves they're they're cool yeah they're definitely cool they're all just, great yeah they are and they're immortal like immortal immortal yeah that's so. that is a unique element because dwarves and hobbits too hobbits are longer than human lives mm -hmm. dwarves are long lived as well yeah but elves at least right they can't be yeah die naturally no killed right right mm -hmm. they live first forever forever mm -hmm. ever <laughs> ever ever yeah i wouldn't mind being a balrog though that would be fun i mean there you go <laughs> really go all out there i mean yeah you can get pretty wild as a balrog <laughs> but i guess speaking of the elves that that scene right where uh so they get captured by the elves mm -hmm. and their escape i love their escape it, i think it's really clever and i think it's great just because philpo like he sticks them all in barrels and is like well, here we go mm -hmm. And they finally reach, uh, I guess, Lake Town, and he, they, um, Bilbo and Thorin manage to get all the elves out, and they're all aren't elves, all the dwarves out, and they're all grumpy about it, and they're like, ah, I smell like apples, you know. And Bilbo's just like, but did you die? 
I was so frustrated on Bilbo's behalf in that scene because they were all complaining. And Bilbo's like, I, I saved you. What? <laughs> like, no. like, well, you could have done it in a nicer way. Um, are you kidding? <laughs> I was so, they do that several times to Bilbo. Several times. The audacity of these elves. Every time Bilbo comes through for them, they they grumble about it. Like, mm-hmm. where would you be without him? Maybe he's not even the leader of this quest <laughs> so this is this is the hobbit to me it's like the hobbit a group project gone awry you know like when, yeah. when you end up being the one person doing all the work that's bilbo something bad happens well what's our bar like let's get the burglar what's he's gonna he's like this isn't even my quest like i didn't even want to go <laughs> i love that yeah and then it becomes The Hobbit, a story of faking it till you make it, which is really what Bilbo does through the end. He's like, well, all right, nobody else is going to do it. So I guess I'll just pretend I'm okay with this and make it happen. And he does. And it translates really well for him because he goes from this very shy, you know, um, hesitant creature in the beginning of the book who just wants to stay home to this, this very brave and assertive and confident hobbit at the end of the book he you know initially he he just kind of takes whatever comes um and at the end he's like you know uh, i did all of this stuff for you and um it's it's such a change in his countenance from the beginning to the end of the book and i i love it yeah his decision to turn over the arkenstone is just the culmination of all of that and we also see him like slowly become a leader mm-hmm. in it um, like they turn to him a lot, like, oh, what are we going to do, Bilbo? So we see him kind of slowly come, like become a leader and he gets this, um, he knows that they'll have a negative reaction to him handing over the Arkenstone, but he's clever about it. He's like, this is my share. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want with it. Um, yeah. So I liked, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, Thorin is king under the mountain, but they all ended up looking to Bilbo more than once during the adventure for advice and help. Yeah. So Thorin's judgment becomes clouded by the sickness, especially in his hunt for the Arkenstone. And Bilbo, and perhaps it's just in the nature of hobbits to not be as drawn in as dwarves would be by gold and treasure um, he's able to sort of recognize that maybe Thorin is is not making the best decisions and is like canny and clever enough to use the Arkenstone as a as a bargaining chip to try to get him back on track and it doesn't end up working out but I think Bilbo is consistently underestimated in this story and so I think it's nice that Bilbo's cleverness and resourcefulness, it kind of, it harkens back to what Gandalf says at the beginning to the dwarves, like he, there's more to this hobbit than you have any idea, like than you know. He, he consistently <laughs> proves that to be the case. There's also another good point where um, uh, it's the confrontation at the uh, gate and it's where Gandalf reveals himself and Thorne's angry with Bilbo and uh, Gandalf says something to the effect of, uh, you know, Bilbo is my choice and I don't uh, bring unnecessary things or something of that nature. And which I thought was just another really 
great scene illustrating the point you were making. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have this really great point about Smaug eating maidens. Yes. So they talk about um, when he first came and like burned down everything and was eating people. They were like, especially the maidens. Why? Like, I don't, what's wrong? Why? Do they taste different? (laughs) What is this? I agree. So I was listening to this in the car and I was like, what is, why? What is it about maidens? Poor maidens. It's always the maiden. Like, can we get like the, I don't know, middle-aged guy. Yeah. Nope. It's gotta be the maidens. Gotta be the maiden. <sighs> um, when you get to the songs in the text, do you try to sing them in your head or are you, are you like saying them in your mind? So because of the animated version, when I'm reading them in the book, mm-hmm. that's what plays in my head is those versions. Gotcha. So they're sung. Vicky, what do you do? Do you sing the books or sing the songs and you read them? Uh, I skip them. <laughs> like you because don't even read them? I can probably read like the first two verses and be like, this isn't essential to the plot. <laughs> Yes, it absolutely is. <laughs> I can't, I cannot focus, especially Glass because I don't fever. have like, especially because I don't have a tune in my head to read, like to hear it for most of the, like to like, I can't keep the tune going. Like I can start off hearing, hearing it, you know? And then after a while I lose it and I'm just like, forget it. I'm just, I know what it says. I'm just gonna skip it. No, just me. Okay. Well, the great part about the audio books is that if you, you can't. can't think of a tune, that it supplies you with a tune. It does. I've seen it. It's very nice. But but the songs are so important. Um, like uh, one of the earlier ones, if not if not the first one, uh, "Far Over the Misty Mountains Cold." Right after that, there's this great line. uh, As they sang, the hobbit felt the love of beautiful things made by hands and by cunning and by magic moving through him, a fierce and jealous love, the desire of the hearts of dwarves. And I just thought that was so cool because it just perfectly summed up and encompassed everything that that just that all this imagery that we were just given in this in this song. Okay. And it, See. you know, sets the tone for the rest of the book of why, why the dwarves are on this journey and where they're going and to what they hope to accomplish. Okay. But here's the thing. I, I think I read like the first half of that one, right? Cause I kind I can, I remember that tune to it. And I highlighted that part though. I don't need the song to know that. I highlighted that part where he's talking about like he felt inspired to go on an adventure because of the like listening to the song and like being able to perfectly picture those things. I didn't lose out on anything. But I think the song lends to the image in your mind. I guess. I mean it I does to my, to me. I mean he could say like they sang a song and it created this but I think having the actual song being able to read that that helps you form the image that Bilbo forms. Yes, I und- I understand the point of it. I just get meh. If you have the Hobbit 75th anniversary edition <laughs> on your Kindle, you actually have a button and you can hear Tolkien read far over the misty mountains cold. Ooh. So you can hear it in his voice well, as he imagined that's it. Nice. 
That is really cool. All right. I'm just going to buy it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and buy the 75th, whatever. Like I bought it with my uh, monthly audible token, but if you've already used it, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Again, I'm not being paid by audible or anyone to, to plug this book. Maybe you should be. You're making a very good argument yeah. for it. Tita, do you want to talk about the point you made about the the sword or the yeah, flame drain and orcrist? Sure. So I, I called this out because just being a little kid, uh, the, so the book is full of these references that don't get explored. And this is one of them that stuck out with me. Uh, so hearing the words Glamdring and Orcrist and Goblin Wars and Gondolin, words that I knew nothing about, but instantly knew I want to know everything about these things now. And my little kid brain had to wait until I think 2018 is when the fall of Gondolin was uh, released by uh, Christopher Tolkien. So uh, it's definitely a long, but well worth the wait. But um, yeah, uh, I, I just thought that all of these things that get referenced but not necessarily explored in The Hobbit, uh, for me as a kid, well, not just hinted at, but it was indicative of the wider world that he was creating. And um, yeah, I just, the, it, what, what pulled me in again to the fantasy genre and Tolkien's work especially was that there, there were all these allusions to things that weren't in this book and that, you know, made me want to read more books and read more about this world and other similar stories that people had created. And I th just thought that was a cool thing that had stuck with me all these years. Yeah. And in addition to that, reading it as a kid, uh, well, for, for one thing, the, the way The Hobbit is told, it's, it, it, it's written as a, a book for children and being a little kid and reading, I think in the, in the forward or the prologue, uh, something to the effect of this is a real story that was translated from the red book of Westmarch. And my, this is before you could just, you know, hop on your phone and Google. And I was like, what is this red book of Westmarch? I want to find it and see if it really is a true story. I was just saying that I also wanted to talk about the moon letters, uh, which I just thought was the coolest thing. Marissa, you were talking about how Tolkien basically invented languages for, uh, for the worlds that he created. And as a kid, I was fascinated by like uh, coded writing uh, and uh, like secret messages. So having, having a way of writing that, that, was coded so other people didn't know what you were writing down. But then in The Hobbit, it takes it a step further with the moon letters that not only can people not see what you've written down, but they can only see it if they're in the same, looking at the same moon in the same season as when you wrote the message. And like some people think it, feel like it's kind of, you know, hokey and I get that but as a story for for kids for me it totally works and doesn't take away from it I, I think I thought it was such a cool concept as a little kid and even as an adult I still think it is 
uh, what did y'all think about the riddle game that Gollum plays with Bilbo? So I love riddles and mm. I completely agree with Gollum. What's in my pocket is not an acceptable riddle. <laughs> like, no, that is not a riddle. He <laughs> guessed, so he accepted it. I know he accepted it, but only because Bilbo wasn't going to give him any other option. He wasn't like, you know, he's like, nope, this is my question. This is my riddle. Anyway, he did call him dirty there, but whatever. And like I said, I love riddles. So I would have had a lot of fun with this, but I would be really bad at thinking up riddles on the spot. I can think of like two riddles off the top of my head. So I feel like Gollum would have been like, so when I can always think of what gets wetter as it dries. And I just feel like Gollum would have been like, forget it, your food. Like not bothering with you, <laughs> not playing. I would be dead almost instantly. I'm really bad at riddles and I don't have any to come up with. And I also don't think of things on the spot well. So <clears throat> I would not have made it out of the Misty Mountains. Yeah. I like that there's the line about the riddle game being an old game and having ancient laws governing the riddle game, which again, as a kid that was interested in history and the way that these stories not necessarily blend history with fantasy, but in a way make, make fantasy feel like it's historical and it's something that could have happened. I thought it was really fantastic. Uh, really uh really interesting and so for for them to take something you know based in real life but also you know making it um uh making it fitting for the fantasy setting i thought was really cool and for me pretty much the only riddles i know come from this book yep yep I, I, yeah. You know, you can imagine a, there being a time before smartphones and TV and radio and internet where coming up with riddles and coming up with songs and things just on the spot as a form of entertainment was pretty much what you had to work with. Right. Well, I mean, it'd be like a rap battle now, right? If that's still a thing people do. <laughs> that is still a thing people do is it okay well there you go i mean it would be like that and that's that's also the thing that i would never be good at either in instantaneous thinking is not <laughs> i deal well in facts and information that i've already gleaned but coming up with things on the spot is not my skill set yeah i would just i would have to use things that i already knew riddles that i already knew which means anyone else would probably know them too so nothing that I can think of that would be unique um speaking of languages did you want to explore Tom Naughty and Adderkop a little bit more I feel like that kind of plays in with that etymology of insults sure yeah I thought that was really funny because uh so Tom Naughty is basically like an insult meaning someone's like dense or not very bright and then adder cop uh, is another one that ba basically means like poison head or venomous head, but can also mean someone that's peevish. So the way that Tolkien's playing with 
punny language for Bilbo to insult the spiders. Like these were words that I didn't know as a kid and having to go and look in the dictionary and see what they mean. And then uh, find out, you know, why were these words used? Uh, I just thought was really interesting. And then once you understand what they mean, that it makes sense in the story. And I think just adds that much more value. Yeah. So let's talk about this spider. Since we're talking about the insulting spiders, let's talk about the spider yes. scene in the forest in Merkwood where he uh, like stoops up his courage and attacks the spiders. I love it. It's so uh, dynamic for him. And he's so, and he, the way that he's like wielding sting it's so exciting. I think it helps to be uh, nimble the way that a hobbit is and also to have a magic ring. Because well, I yeah. think me as a human and there are these like tortoise sized spiders or larger. Yeah, I would definitely be eaten immediately. I'm just terrified of spiders. This is probably like the worst thing that could ever happen to me is being put in this situation. I feel I, like spiders would draw it out a lot more than say being captured in goblin town yeah. like I, I feel like as a regular sized person i'd at least have a fighting chance yeah so i just admire his bravery so much that at one point like he's rescued all of the dwarves and they've been poisoned and they're kind of not operating at optimal uh, function and this tiny hobbit is you know championing champion championing their 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 rescue and so he's like wait just a minute y'all just keep going i'm just gonna slip my ring on and scare and call these all all of these spiders away from you and kind of save you again and, and they're the the image is is really funny to me this little hobbit these giant dwarf giant relative to him these large dwarves and he's just saving the day again i love that he does all of that and then the um like in between like all of these heroic actions that he's doing and stuff, he's like, he's really bemoaning the loss of his hobbit hole and the food and stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. over and over. but he's like, what I wouldn't give to be, you know, comfortable in my hobbit hole with my tea. Uh-huh. He misses his chair. And his uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I like that that's a, a reoccurring point in the story too. And Bilbo's in a bad situation and he just wishes that he was back in his comfortable hobbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at the end, um, during the Battle of Ar- Five Armies, when he, so two parts, when he decides like he's going to give them the Arkenstone because he wants this to be over with and he wants to go home because that's what it felt like. And then when the actual battle is happening, he slips on his ring and just kind of watches. <laughs> And it's like, when this is, I'll go home when this is over. I just, I enjoyed that attitude. I'm tired of this. I want to go home. So (laughs) here, here you go. I don't even care about the treasure anymore. Like, I didn't even want to come on this adventure to start with. (laughs) It's true. That's totally how I ended up. He's like, I have some like gold attached to a pony. It's fine. He had some gold and silver that he went home with. Yeah. It makes for such a good story that he actually did go on the adventure and saw it through. Yeah. Like there's this great line um, when they're in Rivendell 
And it says, now it's a strange thing, but things that are good to have and days that are good to spend are soon told about and not much to listen to, while things that are uncomfortable, palpitating, and even gruesome may make a good tale and take a great deal of telling anyway. And it really, it really just drives point, uh, drives the point home with all those instances of Bilbo just wishing that he was back home in his comfortable hole. Because, yeah, he'd be safe and sound, but he wouldn't have a very good story to tell. I enjoy that he doesn't care about his reputation, too. He gets back. He's a very sort of uh, apathetic <laughs> about stuff at the end. Yeah, he changes. Yeah, he does. Which is, is good. I mean, that's kind of what you'd want to see with your characters. <laughs> type of change occurring. And so he, and I think Gandalf says that. It's not, like, you're not the same hobbit you were when you left. I like to see changes like that happen. I think you like to see character growth, and Bilbo certainly experiences a lot of growth in his adventures. Hard not to, I think. It would be when you're, you know, the one that's carrying this whole quest on your shoulders. <laughs> 12 dwarves, <laughs> 12 dwarves, and he's the one doing all the work, or 13 dwarves. Yeah. Vicky. Um, you feel bad for Smaug? Yeah. Like he, his death is like two seconds in the book, right? He barely gets to burn the town. It was to me, fairly anticlimactic. He like burns the town a little bit. And then <laughs> they shoot him and he's dead. And I was like, that's very poor, poor dragon. I'm imagining Dragdor. I understand. Sorry, you were saying that, and I just imagined Trogdor, the Burninator, <laughs> Burninating the peasants. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, go ahead, Tito. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no problem. I was just going to say that, that that's kind of the point, though, of Smaug just having a kind of um, seemingly uh, uh, pointless, I wouldn't, no, not pointless death, but not a whole lot devoted to it because as you're reading and reading you expect that to be the climax and then it kind of um turns your expectations on its head when fighting smaug isn't the climax but actually you have this battle of five whole armies at the at the foot of the mountain so it, in that contest i think context i think it makes sense and makes for a, a, a richer story so yeah, yeah. It was still disappointing to me. Would have liked to see more carnage. I know you like rooting for the bad guy. <laughs> What'd you say, Tito? I said, I know how you like rooting for the bad guy. He's just, yeah, this is like 100% on brand for you, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> the Lake Town have to suffer for the 1%. Did you write that? I did. Oh, Vicky. <laughs> Why did you say, oh, Vicky, like that? I just think that's funny. That's it. It's a, a great perspective on it. <laughs> true the so are you calling the master of the one percent or are you calling thorin the one percent thorin the one percent with all his pile of gold you know he comes and he takes over the pile of gold and that sends the dragon out to kill all the townspeople and destroy their town so they're suffering for the rich uh dwarf on the lonely, in the lonely well to be fair the master uh, finds himself in a bad end and Thorin dies, but Dane 
he winds up being a fairly even-handed ruler and freely flowing with uh, his wealth. That's true. That is true. He he gives he gives the bard and the and the bard it shares his money as well. I think right. So it ends up working out. I, I in when they actually meet the dragon in the movies. This scene where they're interacting with Smaug and he's chasing them and they like make this golden drag like they they encase him in gold. I don't know. It, it visually is very exciting. It, none of that happened in the book, but I wasn't mad about the addition of that to the movies. Me either. I liked that like when um, so they get all the forges up and going again and when um, he comes face to face with the, um, I guess, the golden king, I guess, I don't know, what would you call it? Because the gold is still wet, not wet, but liquid. Um, and he's staring right at it. And then it bubbles and it bursts in his face. Yeah. And just, I love, I love that. And then it's like the ground is all gold. Yeah. And he just bursts through. It's very dramatic. It is very dramatic. It's a good, I liked, I did enjoy that edition as well. Added a lot of things to the movie that that were not in the book. (laughs) They had to make it. Legolas, there were like females in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) They, I mean, it's like a 350 page book that they made into three two hour movies. They did have to add some. Add some stuff. Add some pizzazz. Yeah. Spice it up a little bit. Well, some of what we saw also came from uh, appendices, like uh, the like the movie shows uh, the war with the dwarves and the orcs, which mm-hmm. it gets talked about in The Hobbit, but really not fleshed out there. Like you get that from some of the other writings, but none of the things that they added, I felt like really detracted from the films or what I thought the film should be. Like, I know they get, I know people have strong opinions on them, but I, I like the Hobbit films. I do too. Yeah. Um, the the storyline with Azog, mm-hmm. was, I mean, that wasn't, they, they mentioned the Bulg, which is like the, was, is it the child of Azog or something um, in the Hobbit? Um, like after I watched the movies, I had to go back and look up like who who is this character that I've never heard of before. Um, I don't I don't think that they I don't think it detracted from the story at all. It made it very exciting. Um, there's a a lot that's talked about in the the book that's just talked about and not really explored. And so I thought it was interesting that they used the the. The space that they had in the movies to explore the like even the 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 story with Radagast that they add in yes sorry yeah in, in the first like I really enjoyed that he gets mentioned really briefly um, and I I like the way that they tied in his story with the spiders and the magic affecting his little world to mm-hmm. the spiders in Mirkwood and and how that that ties in with evil evil overall. So they added a lot of things to the movies, but I wasn't mad about it. I really liked the the Mirkwood angle just for the fact that so the the Hobbit book itself 
it mentions that when uh, Gandalf leaves the, the party as they enter Mirkwood, he has other business to attend. And later in the book, it talks about uh, Gandalf meeting the other wizards and them working together to overthrow the necromancer. But you don't get much more detail than that. So getting to see that fleshed out in the film with Elrond and especially Gladriel, who I think is just the coolest character and really awesome, getting to see that bit all fleshed out, I thought was really impressive in the movie and was really happy to see. Yes, I love Galadriel. She is outstanding. Let's talk about quotes. Let's talk about quotes. Okay, who wants to start? I've already done a couple, so I feel like one of you. I'll go. So I have, so this is about goblins. They did not hate dwarves, they did not hate dwarves especially, no more than they hated everybody and everything. And I read that and was like, oh no, I'm a goblin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I had this um, quote about dwarves. There it is. Dwarves are not heroes, but calculating folk with great idea of the value of money. Some are tricky and treacherous and pretty bad lots. Some are not, but are decent enough people like Thorin and company, if you don't expect too much. And it's just, so the moral of the story is you got to keep your standards low when dealing with dwarves, because <laughs> even the good ones, you can't expect too much from them. I like that quote. I, I think I highlighted that one. It's a good quote, right? Um, it is a good quote. Also, I think that's probably a good philosophy for just being alive. Keep your expectations low. <laughs> and then you'll just Reminds be pleasantly surprised. In the middle of Dewey's birthday. I expect nothing and I'm still disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Another quote that I really liked was about Bilbo. It's as he is going into uh, the tunnel at the Lonely Mountain. He's so he's, he's in the tunnel and he's going to see Smaug, I think, for the first time. And the quote is, he fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait. I think this speaks a lot to Bilbo's bravery and how much he grows and how courageous he becomes from the start of the book to the, to the end and also to the great challenge like the, the, the physical dangers are frightening, but in so many situations, we end up overcoming mental, mental roadblocks, mental challenges, and they can be just as daunting as actual physical, actual physical dragons. Those mental dragons can be just as frightening and difficult to get through. So I really liked this for, for, I think it's a good representation of that. Tito, are there any more quotes that you would like to share? I do have a few quotes. Uh, The first one I pulled out was, I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me, which as a kid I thought was just such a strange way to introduce yourself, but also so cool, like completely the thing that a wizard would say to introduce himself instead of just being normal and saying, hi, my name's Gandalf. (laughs) Uh, A few of these I've already gone through. Uh, The next one I have is, there's nothing like looking if you want to find something. 
You certainly usually find something if you look, but it is not always quite the something you were after, which I feel like really sums up the book in what Bilbo was expecting in going, going on an adventure and uh, the adventure not being quite what he thought it would be. The next quote I had kind of ties into our whole discussion about dwarves being buttheads, but it, uh, it's uh, Gandalf talking to Thorin. says, you're not making a very splendid figure as king under the mountain. And I thought that was just a nice barb about, or a nice barb that really kind of drove home what I was feeling and what I feel anytime I read that part of Thorin just really giving a bad show and not being the 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 character that we were told he was in the beginning of the book he's described as you know real honorable and loyal and faithful dwarf and him acting the way that he is once he's you know secured the treasure just makes you kind of disappointed so it makes his redemption when he dies that much better i think yeah which is the next quote that i have is if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold it would be a merrier world which that's probably one of my favorite quotes in the book if not my favorite thor's uh dying words to bilbo yeah i think that's good it's a good just application about life in general, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, unrelated, but slightly related. When Thorin dies, he says, farewell, exclamation point. And that, in my mind, is just hysterical. Like, can you imagine being on your desk? Without, like, I'm going now. Bye. <laughs> I had that same thought. Yeah, just farewell, <laughs> dies. <laughs> that exact same Dead. thought. <laughs> It's interesting. I didn't read it that way. I read it more of him just gasping, trying to get the words out and say goodbye to Bilbo. Well, that's a lot darker than what we imagined. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's probably more accurate, but it's, I mean, it was like farewell exclamation point. And my brain processed that as like, as it processes most other exclamatory statements. Same. Marissa, what are your final thoughts on The Hobbit? I love this book. I could read it a thousand times over. It's just like, I like uh, every time I read it, I feel like I interpret something new or differently that I didn't interpret the same way before. Or the context feels different or I just find something new. And that's what I really enjoy about stories like this. Um, you just find different things to explore each or like uh, different things that you can uncover as part of this world um, and and I, I I like that and I appreciate that oh I'm it never gets old what about you Tito what are your final thoughts oh gosh this is a story that like you said it never gets old no matter how many times I read it and uh it I think that's because it's been with me for so long is the first time I read it. Like I said, I was a kid, so it's definitely uh, been a part of forming the person that I am. And um, 
think especially now with all the different ways that we can consume media, being able to have it as an audiobook version uh, is, is really great for me personally because it, it changes the experience to be able to hear it in someone else's voice and instead of just my, my own voice reading it aloud or my mind's voice reading it in my head. Because it, it, it lets me notice things that I maybe wouldn't have noticed before, or maybe I wouldn't have um, sung the song in the same tune that uh, Mr. Inglis is reading it in. And I think also it adds to the experience because Tolkien wrote a good part of this as a story for his own children and had that experience with his children of reading this to them. So in a sense, being able to hear it in the audiobook version kind of recaptures some of that, I think, for the, the listener is in it for the listener. And I think it's definitely well worth going for that experience. Vicki, what are your final thoughts? I, I mean, I, nothing really to add. I love the book. One of the things that I really like about The Hobbit is that there are so many sort of building off of what Tito said. So many different versions of it. There are multiple different versions of the audiobook you can listen to, multiple movies that you can um, watch. You can read it yourself. And I like being able to see all of those different how other people envision it, you know, seeing how other people see it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a classic. I love it. It's such a great book for, I mean, it's sure it was written for kids, but look at us, we're all in our thirties and we, we all still love it. Reading it again for the 10th time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still great. All right. Well, that wraps up The Hobbit. Tito, thank you so much for joining us in our conversation. It was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Uh, next week, we'll be discussing The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.